Good morning. And for those of you who slept in, good afternoon. <laughs> or good evening, depending on how long uh, you slept. It's good to be with you this morning. Turn with me to uh, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Obviously, we're in a day and a time when many are looking for wisdom. A lot of turmoil in the world, people wondering what's happening with coronavirus and everything else. People saying, what's God saying? What's, what's going on? I just want to remind you that we still have the message of reconciliation. That's the gospel. It hasn't changed. And God's method is still using people to share the gospel. And so in this time of lockdown and people saying, okay, what's, what's happening? Is, what's God's purpose? People are saying realignment and resetting. It's actually encouraging us to go back to the word and to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That hasn't changed. We get away from that, but that's God's plan. And that's what we're trying to do. And so I want to actually try and take on a big subject this morning. Uh, having said that, we better pray. I need a lot of help. Lord, we just acknowledge that it's you and your spirit that leads us into truth. Lord, we don't just want to hear things that excite us. We want to be changed and transformed. We want to be conformed to the image of Christ. We want to see you as you are. And we say, Holy Spirit, would you do that in us today? We open our hearts to you. Speak to us. Speak life. Speak freedom. Speak release. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk about the fear of the Lord this morning, which is one of those big subjects but I'm actually going to make it bigger because I'm not going to start there. I want to start with two characteristics of God and talk a little bit about those this morning. The first being that God is holy. The second being that God is love. I've used my handy dandy little whiteboard over here and put these on here because I'm going to try and picture something in a few minutes. But I just want you to take a look at a little bit of the holiness of God. Ecclesiastes 19 and verse 2. Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for the Lord your God is holy. There's something about the holiness of God. The first characteristic that God revealed of these two was holiness. We like to think it was love, but it was actually holiness. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you, nor is there any God besides our rock. And then over in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 25. To whom then will you liken me? And to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? See, holiness 
actually means two things. It means that God is different. He's set apart. He's a different order of being than everything else. He's not just bigger than we are. He's different than we are. He's absolutely pure, unspotted. Now, when we understand the holiness of God, it results in this really big picture of who God is. The heavens and the highest heavens can't contain you. God's awesome. Timothy, 1 Timothy 6 says, he dwells in unapproachable light. So we, when we focus on the holiness of God, we get this big picture of God that is almost, can't be approached. He's so pure. And that's what we see in Isaiah 40. I read verse 25, but if you start at verse 21, it says, have you not known, have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? He who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretch out the heavens like a curtain and, spread, and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Verse 25, to whom then will you liken me and to whom shall I be equal, says the Lord. Lift up your eyes on high. And see who's created these things, who brings them out, who brings out their host by number. He calls them by the name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. And then if you focus on that, the result is the very next verse. Why do you say, O Jacob, but speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my just claim is passed over? The idea is when we see God as that great, awesome Creator, we feel like so insignificant. Who is he to even know that I'm alive? He's so busy. As I've said in the past, I was raised in an evangelical church and that was the image of God I had. I had this idea that God was so busy with the universe that my concerns didn't, he was totally unaware, he, he could care less. Not that he was unloving. I knew in my head God was loving. We're going to get to that in a moment. But it was just God so busy. You know, so who am I to bother this busy God with whatever my concerns was? Now, part of that was uh, just my relationship with my dad, who was loving, but he worked two, sometimes three jobs to provide for us. He was away. I got his attention when I misbehaved or when he wanted to give me some direction. And so I approached God with that idea. If I've done something wrong, God's going to let me know. And I had this image of this really big God. Earlier in Isaiah chapter 6. And verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. This is what transformed Isaiah seated on a throne, high and lifted up. I saw this picture of God as awesome and great. And above it stood seraphim, each with six wings. Two he covered his face and two he covered his feet and two he flew. One, and one cried to another saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Verse 5. And I said, woe is me. I'm undone because I'm a man of unclean lips. There's something about the holiness of God 
that gives us a big picture that almost causes us to not approach God. But the, fortunately, there's another characteristic of God, which is love. 1 John 4, 7, for God is love. John 3, 16, for God so loved that he gave his only begotten son. There is this image of God that makes him much more approachable. I can come into his presence. The byproduct of that is that if that's all we focus on, God becomes small. Rather than having this big picture of God, we get this little picture of God. Jesus is my co-pilot. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is my mate. He rides shotgun when I go out cruising. Jesus is this guy who walks along with me, which is wonderful, but we lose something of the bigness of God in that. So, with those two concepts, I want to try and bring in an understanding of the fear of the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 10. Talk about teaching your children and your grandchildren, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God in horror. When the Lord said to me, gather the people to me and I will let them hear my words that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth, that they may teach their children. Proverbs 9, where we just uh, were earlier. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. But Proverbs 8, verse 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Proverbs 10, and verse 27, the fear of the Lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. Proverbs 14, 27, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Sounds like a pretty good thing, doesn't it? Wisdom, hating evil, extended life, fountain. Psalm 112 and verse 1. It's, it's here. Said, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. You want to be blessed? You want to have long life? You want to have wisdom? You need to fear the Lord. Not sure about that one. So let me see if I can help you grasp this. I tend to think in picture form, so I'm going to put it in picture form. You've got these two characteristics. And there's this spectrum. There's something called the fear of the Lord. But it actually is this spectrum this, that, that goes on one side if we focus only on the greatness and the holiness of God. We end up with something of Terror, 
That's an R. I need my wife to, uh, to, draw, to write for me. Uh, but if we go on the other side only, we end up with no fear. Perfect love casts out fear. 1 John 4.18. The problem is, if we only focus on one or the other, we end up with this huge picture of God, but we're afraid to approach him, or we end up with this little picture of God that takes away the fear of the Lord and we lose everything. But if we take both together, we end up with a sense of awe, reverence, wonder, worship. I can't worship my mate. Well, unless you're married to my wife. I can't worship my friend. I can't worship the person who rides shotgun when we go out to, to party. I worship a holy God. You still with me? The answer is not to pick one or the other. The answer is to embrace both. And say, God, I embrace your love and I embrace your holiness. And then we understand this. The God of the universe who the heavens and the highest heavens can't contain loves me. He doesn't become smaller so that I can approach him. He becomes gracious so that I can approach him. Otherwise, we just shrink God into someone who's just approachable and we lose out on the greatness. We lose out on his awesomeness and we actually limit grace. This holy God has redeemed me so I can come into his presence. That's amazing grace. So the bottom line is that we can't have an unbalanced view of God. We can't pick and choose and say, well, I like this, this God better. I'm going to turn my back on all that. I just like the God who loves me. Or as I was raised, we can't turn our back on that and say, oh, God's holy. I better be careful. If I do something wrong, he might smash me. We need to embrace both. Having said that, that was all the introduction. I want to look at two applications, two consequences. There, there probably, there are a whole lot. If you start looking into the fear of the Lord, there are tons of ramifications of what this means. And so we're, we don't have time to be exhaustive and go into everything. But we have a couple things I want to focus on this morning. The first is how this understanding affects me. As I said, if my focus is only on holiness, then I want to stay away from God. I don't want to do anything in case it's wrong. I'm afraid of making a mistake. God's so holy. What if I do it wrong? If you read uh, Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, 
Jesus gave these guys talents and says, use them. And one guy says, I took what you gave me and I buried it because I was afraid you, because I know that you are a hard man and I was afraid. And so we have this concept, if that's our only focus on this holiness of God and this thing that we become afraid to use what he's given us, we bury our talents, we hide whatever we have, we're afraid for the Holy Spirit to use us because what if we mess it up? The other side, though, is if my focus is only on love, then God seems small. And the problem with that is that others become bigger by comparison. And many people have traded the fear of the Lord for the fear of man. God's become small. He's my buddy. Jesus is my friend, which the Bible says is true, but we have this small picture. We lose. See, when we only have love, no fear, we also have no wisdom. We also have no hatred of evil. Fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Does that sound like much of the church today? So if God becomes small and others become bigger in my perspective, then what they think of me becomes much more important. People become big in my thinking. What will they say? What if I started to share a word as the church begins to gather again? I felt God gave me something. And, and what if I don't say it right? No, no, I can't risk that. Because people are more important to me and what they think than what God thinks. Got very quiet in here. It's because there's nobody here. <laughs> no. You guys are somebody. There are a few of us here. So how it affects me, I'm a reflection of how I see and embrace God. But there's another side as well. And that's how it affects how I approach ministry. If God is small in my thinking, then it's very easy for me to begin to think when we partner together and he does something that I deserve a little bit of the glory. It was my faith. It was my righteousness. We lose something. 1 Peter chapter 4 from verse 10. I love this. It says, as each one has received a gift, minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks... Let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, 
Let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Isaiah 42, in verse 8. I am the Lord. That is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. Sounds like God's pretty serious. 48, Isaiah 48 and verse 11. He says it again. The end of the, the verse, for I will not give my glory to another. See, giving God glory is tied into his holiness. Our view of his holiness. It's recognizing his greatness. His awesomeness. Here's a revelation for you. Even though we might partner with him and he uses us, we are not little gods. Though some of our kids might think they are. <laughs> Had a friend... Uh, who was telling us about one of their, their children just kind of wanting to, to do everything and decide what was happening. And she said to her, uh, our friend said to her daughter, you need to understand, you're not the Lord of this house. Three years old, you're not the Lord of this house. And she went, said, say that, I'm not the Lord of this house. No, Jesus is the Lord of this house. You're not the Lord, I'm not the Lord of this house. She heard her repeating it through the day. I'm not the Lord of this house. Radical change. It, how often do we think, ah, oh, God needs me. We say something like, when I prayed, they were healed. You've never heard that, have you? Never said that. See, recognizing God's glory is that recognizing it's He is the one who does the work. Whether it's healing, or the manifestations of the Spirit, or salvation, He does it all. And He gets the glory. When we take some of the glory and we think it has to do with us, and he says, I'll not give my glory to another. When we take the glory, we end up wondering why we're not seeing radical supernatural. I believe there's been a focus of much of the church that's only on the love of God, that says it's God and me and he needs me. And when I do it, I get a little bit of the glory. I get a little bit of the credit. I get a little bit of the fame, it's my name, it's my ministry, it's my gifting. And as a result, God's removing his hand, not against us, but we're not seeing the radical supernatural because in that, he expects to receive glory. You still with me? I get excited. What does that mean? I think for all of us, we need to embrace all of who God is, His holiness and His love. 
And in doing that, I believe he's wanting to restore a sense of reverence and honor. He's wanting to restore, renew a fear of the Lord. Yes, God loves me. And yes, he can use me. And if, I, if God gives me a word, I'm going to share it. But I'm not going to be flippant because of who he is. But I think the other application is that if you have a fear of man, if you're concerned about what people think of you more than God, the answer is not to think less of yourself. The answer isn't to try and make yourself smaller. The answer is to think more of him and let him be bigger. Get a bigger view of God. Why is this important? Because I think that what one of the revelations I've seen in this time is how much we need one another together. We're doing the best we can in uh, online stuff, and, but there's something of the manifestations of the Spirit that happen when we come together. There's something of praying for one another and standing with 41 another's in the New Testament that we really can't do if we don't come together. I expect that as we gather together, there's going to be a releasing of the moving, moving and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. In fact, in preparation for that, Johan's going to do a four-part series in the next weeks on the manifestations of the Spirit with the expectation that we want to see all that God has in all of us released. But in the process of that, we better be careful that we don't undermine his glory. A friend of ours from uh, Melbourne was telling a story. He was teaching a group on moving in the spirit and praying for the sick. And someone said, but what if I pray for someone and they're not healed? And the premise behind that was if that happens, it will reflect badly on me. I'll look bad. And rather than dealing with that, Gabby said, what if you pray for someone and they are healed? Does that make you look good? No, Jesus is the hero. Always. Jesus is the healer. So this idea that if I pray for someone and they don't get healed, I look bad, the converse is that if I pray for them, I look good. I still get some of the glory. It's because I prayed. If I could only get Mary to pray for me. Because she has the anointing. Now it could be that she spent time with God. And she does. But if she ever begins to think it's because of her rather than Jesus... If you ever begin to think it's because of you rather than Jesus, you miss the whole point. And I guarantee you we won't see a releasing of the supernatural. I'm going to challenge you to do something. Go back and start the worship over again. And with an understanding, sing about the holiness of God.
and say, God, set me free from a fear of man. And say, God, I embrace all of who you are. Let's pray. Lord, we do just recognize we want to know you as you are. We don't want to pick and choose. We don't want to shrink you down. Neither do we want to have such an unapproachable image that we're afraid. But we do want to stand in awe and reverence and wonder and worship and give you all the glory. So this morning we say we embrace you as you are. Holy and loving. And we say, God, would you restore in us a fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. A fear of the Lord, which is to hate evil. Lord, thank you that you've given us the message of reconciliation for a hurting and disturbed world. It's the only message, the gospel, that changes hearts. Unjustice is an evil. But the problem is that injustice is in the heart of man. It's not in a system. It's in people. And unless you change us and transform us, And so, Lord, we say, as Isaiah said, we're unworthy, but you've redeemed us. And then his response was, here am I, send me. And so we say, in this hurting world, here am I, send me. With the message of reconciliation and the supernatural empowering of your spirit to bring life and peace, and love in your name. Amen. Amen. I can't wait till we can actually be meeting together. Things are changing. We're not sure when and how. You'll hear more as it happens. Uh, but again, let me encourage you. In that understanding, go back and, and uh, just turn the worship on again and sit in his presence and allow him to set you free from fear, fear of man. Some of us fear the future, but with a, a reverence for who he is and expect that God's going to use you in the supernatural. Amen.